Welcome back, everyone. Today on episode six of the Zero Analytics podcast, we have Jock Newsom of Mooresville, North Carolina. There, he pilots the Kinetic Racing Chassis Track Tech House Cart on the Carolina regional karting scene. Our conversation starts with he and his dad racing local in his home state of Louisiana and takes us on a journey of chasing the racing dream. We follow Jock on a roller coaster ride from stripping copper wire to save enough money to make the move to North Carolina to working oddball jobs until he started working for one of the go-kart greats at Michu Motorsports. With success all along the way driving for the Michu Man, Matt Connell, and eventually finding his place in the track tag house cart with Mr. Chris Harris. This story is easy to relate to because it's not all sunshine and roses, and oftentimes is presented with doubt and challenges all along the way. But through a positive outlook and a dedication to his dream, we find Jock today working at Roush Yates Motors, where he plays a part in building the motors we see making laps on Sundays. The conversation you are about to hear ends on a high note, but I'm sure it's only the beginning for this young man. At one point early on in the conversation, I asked Jock why he thought he was given opportunities by some of the highest level individuals in the racing world. As we got deeper into our conversation, it becomes clear to me that he embodies a drive and work ethic that shines through and has people wanting to go out of their way to help the kid from Dedham Springs, Louisiana. Ladies and gentlemen, without any further ado, my friend, Mr. Jock Newsom. Welcome to the podcast. We have Jock Newsom today from Mooresville, North Carolina, man. Welcome. How you doing? Thank you for uh, having me on and uh, hopefully share a little bit of my personal story and feel free to ask anything you want to. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I appreciate it. I know that, um, you know, if I kind of know you from a distance, I mean, you know, friends on Facebook and things like that, but even, you know, we've met a couple times and talked a little bit, but I, I'm more or less kind of familiar with you based on uh, just kind of through Chris Harris at uh, Track Tech and and he was a big help for our racing when I was really um, going hard at it with Alex White. And, you know, I respect him as a person and as a racer. And, um, you know, along with a lot of other people I know and respect um, down south, I've always heard really good things about you. And, um, you know, and and talking to even more people and just hearing a little bit about your story, it's it's just something that I, I think that everyone would like to hear. And, you know, kind of give them a background on not just you and your racing, but just what is possible and, and maybe some ways to go about it. So, uh, you know, I certainly do appreciate your time, especially on a Sunday when you could probably be hanging out and doing something else. But uh, So I certainly do appreciate it, and I know everyone else that's uh, going to hear this story and listen to it is uh, is definitely appreciative, too. So thank you. Yes, sir, absolutely. I appreciate it. And, uh, no, nah, I mean, I'm definitely – I'm a ambassador of the sport in a way just to, like, love seeing people get involved so anything that i take my time really passionate about it um anybody that truly knows me and hangs out with me like that have been around the sport forever like man nobody loves racing like you not that anybody else doesn't like racing more than me but i'm just real passionate about it so this being able to help somebody or you know give a motivation to do something is well worth my time so i appreciate it yeah well, that's a great attitude to have and uh just to give me some context how old are you right now i am just turned 25 in december so 25. getting on up there <laughs> still a young man still a young man that's good so 
tell me a little bit about, um, before we kind of start with your history and stuff like that, just kind of give me an idea of what is your current racing involvement, um, your actual racing, not so much even like your job and stuff right now, but what do you do race-wise? Um, what's your involvement with either wrenching on stuff, racing, traveling? Um, tell me a little bit about that, if you don't mind. Um, well, uh, it's changed a lot in the last years, um, but uh, right now at the moment, I'm racing just locally around North Carolina. Uh, me and Chris Harris race for Track Tech, uh, alongside with Wesley LeBlanc with Kinetic Racing Chassis and Excel Engines, and uh, pretty much just racing locally around North Carolina, whatever our budget allows. We don't have a huge budget. But we uh, make the best out of what we have, and uh, we have a lot of fun doing it. And I absolutely love racing with Chris. He's just a uh, normal guy. Don't get mad about nothing. We always have a blast. We win as a team. We lose as a team. We love figuring new things out and how to be better. And, you know, as far as just wrenching stuff, uh, I live like an hour away from Chris. And I drive down there usually on Fridays and go scale out and wrench on stuff. And I get a lot of enjoyment out of that. Probably, if not more than as much as just racing. Because I love getting my hands dirty and wrenching on things. And I uh, pretty much that's it. We go racing every few weekends and every other weekend. Or, you know, right now we just race three weekends in a row and now we're taking this weekend off and gonna race next weekend and uh we just race wherever we feel like's best to race for our budget and the payout and entry fees understandable and you know you're you're kind of it's like the gift and the curse where you live because you you're living right in the hotbed of of racing in general but at the same time, you could go to a regular Saturday night show, and I think Liberty's your home, like kind of like your home track right now. Or, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. Absolutely. And so with Liberty, I mean, you could show up there, and there could be six of the top ten racers, you know, in the country there on even like a Saturday night or something. I know, you know, kind of follow a little bit of like the North Carolina Dirt Series and some other series, and it's got it's probably one of the toughest if not the toughest in the country as far as dirt oval racing wouldn't you say oh absolutely i mean i'm not saying that um been around the block on everywhere but as far as the common opinion through the pits and in the grid it's one of the toughest racetracks in the country by far um just from a qualifying standpoint and and nothing wrong with the racetrack it's just how it is you know i mean the racetrack constantly changes throughout the day and then come nighttime it gets slicker and it's not just some place where you can bolt on regular tires or just wipe goat it's uh in between racetrack and you're always really looking for bite and following the racetrack and just about every week due to mother nature or something, you know, the racetrack may, might be trying. It changes a whole lot. And not only that, but this place, it's got a pond in the middle of it. And, you know, that deals with moisture and everything else due to the racetrack. And then it's got a lot of elevation change to it. So whether you do run a good line through the corner, um, it really shows up 
center off or down the straightaway because you got elevation change. So when you have a bad entry or center or exit through a corner, then center off, you're going uphill. So it kind of magnifies it, I feel like. And it's real kind of sweeping corners, but they're tight. It's just like a good all-around racetrack. But I think the biggest part that makes it a little bit more difficult, not only that, is some elevation change to it. Yeah, no, I, no I've only been there... Uh, we've only raced there, I mean, and this is over a 10-year period, probably five or six times going back even with uh, Alex's older brother, Brandon. But I will say, um, you know, just listening to you kind of describe that, it is one of the, in my opinion anyway, from what I remember, it's one of the tracks that, you know, without weather involved as far as rain or getting real cold, it changes pretty quick. You know, I mean, it could go from like a dry, slick, kind of little dusty almost to, like you said, you get into the evening and with the water table there and, um, you know, just through the, you know, capillary action, like some water actually kind of going up, it does, it gets, it turns slick um, pretty quick. So it's, keeps everybody on your game and probably, um, you know, probably a good place to have for, if you can run good there, you can almost go anywhere in the country and run pretty good in my opinion. So um, that's good that, and what, um as far as, <clears throat> so outside of racing, do you have any, do you have time for any racing or anything outside of racing as far as hobbies go? What is, uh, what's your life outside of racing look like? Man, honestly, um, it's it's not much but racing, you know. I mean, I've got a few things going on. I go help one of the uh, engine builders at work. I go to his shop because he builds engines on the side, and he builds them for all across the world. Um, So I try to pretty much right now, I'm just trying to be a sponge and learn as much as I can um just in case anything happens or just learn i just like to learn you know whether it's reading or reading new about something or just about life or racing or you know like one of my biggest heroes is Smokey eunuch just because of like in nascar all the things he created and he was way beyond his time and uh, it's just fascinating to me all the things he designed and built and you know that's another story um if anybody knows anything about Smokey eunuch but uh he created so many things and he was way beyond his years and um i don't really have too many hobbies besides here and there if we have an off weekend hanging out with my racing buddies like ty and tim o'connor and ty bass and or wesley or just doing some things just to relax because you gotta have time away um from racing sometimes and just to relax and you know give your brain a rest because as racers you know we kind of don't ever stop thinking right Uh, we're we're always thinking about how to get better what we need to do to the race trailer or something or rescaling out or it's your brain never stops so it's good sometimes i got a girlfriend so try to off weekends do as much with her to support her because she supports me and um that's about it really gotcha now some of the guys you mentioned you hang out with like ty and the you know they're kind of brothers what um when you guys are hanging out just are you are you hanging out and, and doing things that are outside the racing world are you guys talking about racing as you're hanging out how does that dynamic work where you're your friends on and off the track and you know you all race and stuff like that we uh well we're actually like true racers uh we'll talk about life but we always end up talking about racing because that's <laughs> what we're most passionate about and we'll be arguing about NASCAR or we'll be 
just talking about racing or a certain racetrack or what we want to do or what like joking around about my tires versus their tires or something it's just we're always gonna talk about racing at the end of the day uh you can't stop us that's just what we naturally lean to and we're always gonna talk about racing right and uh we were talking a little bit right before this now ty bass a few five four or five years ago uh, i was helping alex white we went out for the fifty thousand to win out to missouri and uh I think this kind of is, is a cool little story that I'd never heard before, but I think it gives a good indication of the type of person that you are. And, you know, he, he was actually going to, he came out there to run our um, like semi-pro stuff for us on Alex's go-karts and stuff like that, just to give us some more time on Burris's. And I didn't realize until right before this, um, and go ahead and tell me the story about he, you know, we didn't, he didn't come with us. He was going to ride out there with you and kind of a last minute deal. You were, um, the ride you were going to ride fell through and uh, kind of take me through that little story just to give everyone listening. Uh, I think it kind of encompasses more of the type of person you are and in, in the community that karting can be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's some really good people in racing and um, I think of Ty like a little brother I never had. I grew up an only child and when I moved here, me and Ty, like Ty was the first person I really like clicked with like could be my best friend and uh we've always clicked and we never argue about nothing we just when we get together we have the best time and hang out and laugh and cut up and just be ourselves and um ties like a brother to me so when i moved up here got a few rides blah 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 ended up getting hooked up with this guy to tennessee while i was working at eddie misu's shop and misu motorsports so we were building his engines um next thing you know he has a kid that races go-karts and he's got you know a little bit of money so he wants to let me come run the 50 grand race because he's out there in the midwest towards missouri right there in sykeston where he's gonna have the 50 grand race so i'm getting ready getting ready it's like months in advance you know we're planning getting tires getting everything squared away I went out there one time with Tim O'Connor and rode his go-kart just to get all the bugs worked out. And um, Ty was, Alex White's daddy was going to, trying to decide if they wanted to fly him out there or how he was going to get there. And being at this moment, we're all a bunch of broke kids. You know, we ain't got much money to our name. We're just, you know, 19, 20 years old. We don't have any money, so we we make it happen no matter what we have to do. And Ty, I lost my ride the week before the fifty grand race. Um, the guy, you know, not to bash anybody, but he just I don't know if something came up or what, but it ended up not working out. So I was, you know, absolutely crushed because I come from just wanting to be there plain and simple like I didn't even care in what form or fashion I was going to be there but I just wanted to go there and just to be racing was going to be you know cherry on top but I ended up losing my ride so I was kind of crushed about it but me and Ty had planned to ride there together and so it kind of left Ty in a bind so he didn't want to ask Alex's dad, you know, last minute to buy him a plane ticket. All Ty had was his old F-150 truck that got 
12 miles at a gallon and he couldn't drive that thing from North Carolina to Missouri or we didn't have the money, but I just so happened to have my little four cylinder car. They got plenty of miles a gallon and we could haul butt out there. So I ended up saying, come on time. I'm not going to leave you hanging, man. I'm going to drive you out there. So I ended up driving him all the way out there to Missouri so he could come race with y'all. Um, because I didn't want, because of my misfortune, to affect anybody else. So we all decided to go out there, and I uh, brought him out there, and um, glad that he could have been been a part of it, because now they don't have that race. So I uh, just excited that you know I could help him out, you know, because I know he'd do the same for me. Right, <clears throat> that's a good story, man. I think there's a lot of. You know, we hear sometimes you hear a lot of the bad stories and they kind of seem to stick out because you remember them. But there's a lot of good things that, like I said, I never, you know, I never knew that. This was several years ago and it was, it was kind of cool. It was a cool little story. And I, like I said, man, it's the things I like to kind of hear these days, you know. But, um, on kind of in that same line, <clears throat> who's the better driver, you or Ty? Oh, man. Just man, between forever, me and you. Forever. <laughs> we all, all the time, we'd never like, so happened because he races for a guy and I've always raced for somebody and he's always raced for somebody and we never really got to race together. But here lately, you know, we've kind of got to race together and he'd probably say different, but I mean, Ty's a great driver. Um, but I'd probably have to say I, I'm probably a little bit better than Ty, but nah, I mean, <laughs> Ty's a really good driver. I know there was one time at Coleridge last summer we raced and, I followed him up through the field, and it was clone heavy. It was the money race, and we ended up – I pushed him past first place on a restart, and next thing you know, the next lap I had done went past him, and I ended up winning clone heavy. And we always joke about that race because I helped him get past the leader, and next thing you know, I hung him out to dry, and he got freight trained and everything else. But that's just stuff we'll never forget, and I'm glad we got those memories. Um, Being able to race together – uh, I'd say we probably both neck and neck. Yeah. No, he's a, and I've, I've obviously seen him race more just than, you know, he ran the Delaware series a little bit and, you know, just around the Virginia area and tri County and stuff. And, uh, he does, he has a good little ride. I mean, I, I like the whole, you know, Shane Bass is a good guy. And I never knew until we went to Missouri that Ty Bass and Shane Bass, even though the last name they travel are not even related, they're from different States and stuff. And it was, it was kind of funny. Cause I think everyone just assumes that they're like, brothers or cousins or you know dad and son yeah, everybody everybody thinks it's a dad or <clears throat> uncle or something and it, it's crazy like to this day i still get people like question me about it you know like that's ty's dad shane bass i'm like no like they're no relation and it's just crazy how two people can come together and he rides for him with the same last name everything else it's funny to me but that's just how life works and it's pretty cool yeah, good deal. So um so let's go back. So we kind of have a an idea on you right now like where you are now and stuff like that. Can you uh let's let's go back to like kind of the beginning. So so you're in North Carolina now, but you're originally from Louisiana, is that correct? Yes, I'm actually uh born and raised in Denham Springs, Louisiana. Gotcha. And when when did go-karting or racing in general? I mean, how did how did you get into it? Just kind of take me through um, kind of like your introduction and stuff like that, if you don't mind. 
So honestly, this is way back when. This is how I got started. Um, my mom's side of the family, she had two brothers. One was older, one was younger. They both got into flat track motorcycle racing. And they raced flat track motorcycle racing, which is dirt oval bike racing. So then my dad's side of the family... Also, he had three other brothers, and they raced flat track motorcycle bikes. So they met at a racetrack, my mom and dad. And then they met, they started dating. So then it's kind of, you know, two families in one at the racetrack racing flat track motorcycles. My mom actually did race go-karts for a short period of time with McCullough's on them and stuff way back in the day. So that's pretty cool that my mom actually raced <laughs> go-karts. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so it's not a lot of things that people know, but that did happen. So then they transitioned out of, you know, racing motorcycles. Uh, when my uncle decided on my mom's side, got tired of getting broke up on motorcycles and getting hurt and stuff, decided to get into go-kart racing. And this was probably early 90s, 90, 91, 92. Well, he was best friends with my dad, so my dad ended up getting a go-kart. And they raced WK Superstock around the early 90s, 91, 92, 93, with Margays and having WK Superstock on Tillisons and um, – they ended up racing, having a good time. They just didn't do nothing too serious, but they raced in Loxley, Alabama. They'd drive all over the place to go race, nothing too serious. Um, they'd put two go-karts in the bed of a truck and go racing. And so then I came along in 93, and my dad sold everything. Um, just having a kid, everybody knows how it is. Having a kid, money gets tight, can't go racing anymore. So my uncle had gotten out of it too. Just life, you know, it sends you in different directions sometimes, but we always come back, you know, it's hard to get away. Yeah. So my uncle decided to get back into racing around 97, 98, 99. He got back into racing. So by then I was, you know, four, five, six, getting brought to the racetrack, being able to see things. Uh, ended up seeing my first race around 1999. I was pumped. I was like, ever since then, you know, I was like, I want to do this. Like, mom and dad, let's do this. I'm ready to go racing. I even seen a go-kart for sale out in the pits, and I was like, man, can we get it tonight so we can go racing tonight? <laughs> like, I was ready to race. And, uh, you know, my dad saved up enough money. He uh, built my own go-kart from scratch. My grandpa was a welder, and I had connections with Tubin. My dad literally marks slotted out in the carport on the ground. He jigged out a go-kart, hand-bent everything, took some measurements off my uncle's go-kart, and just built my own go-kart. My dad's really good with his hands, and he actually built my first go-kart. That's awesome, man. That, that's pretty impressive. That's a, that's a cool story for your first go-kart, man. That's awesome. So when you now back then, what was your was your number seventy seven L? Is that your? Yes, that was my number was seventy seven. Um, Where that? Come don't from? tell. Me, 
I think my uncle was 76, and I might have wanted to be like him, so I was like, I'm going to just add one digit to it and be 77, and I guess I just really like 77. It's changed a lot through the years, depending on the rides and riding for people and different circumstances and numbers, but I can get to what my number is now, but I'll save that for later, but... um, I actually started racing summer of 2000, so that was when my first race was. So, and uh, just kind of like pick away a little bit, a couple of little questions. Um, did your just out of curiosity, did your dad or you did you have a name for the go kart? Not that it had to be something racing chess, but did you guys name it, or you just he just built it and said, "Here you go." No, we didn't. We didn't name anything. We just built it and had fun. We actually we actually raced out of a VW van. My dad. We didn't, you know, we weren't poor or nothing, but we just didn't have a lot of money to spend on extracurricular activities, just like a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So my dad drove a VW van growing up, and he drove it every day to work, and we ended up taking a few back seats out and left one row of the back seat, we built a platform in it, a metal platform with plywood for the go-kart to go in the VW van and put all the tools and stuff underneath it. So, uh, we really went racing with nothing, you know I mean? We never had a trailer and nothing like that. We just made it happen. Gotcha. Yeah. And then, and I was looking through, you know, your old Facebook pictures and stuff like that. That's how I came across the 77. And I think your dad actually, he posted the picture. Um, it was like one your birthday, not too long ago. And, and I saw a comment underneath that someone mentioned the van, and the van's in the background. And uh, I'm definitely going to post that picture, but I just want to let everyone know that the van you're talking about is, I'm, I'm assuming he's the one that's in the background in that photo. Am I correct? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That's cool. it. Cool. Old so. primer gray. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say the gray one in the back. So I, I'm definitely going to yeah. post that. It's uh, the little jock out there. So um, so you got started. You know, you got in your, you know, the go-kart your dad built. Um, <clears throat> when... So was that? Did you start in Junior Sportsman One, or how? Actually, there was a little class called Modified Yard Cart. So okay, basically, before you made it to Junior One, Two, or Three, you raced Modified Yard Cart. So it was basically a five horsepower flathead on pump gas. It wasn't on methanol or nothing like Junior One, Two, Three, or stock. Mm-hmm. It was going to be on pump gas, and you could ride a yard cart or you know purpose-built go-kart um an older you know 90s 80s frame you could it was pretty open it's just a beginner class um to get started in so instead of having like a backyard go-kart we ended up building one a purpose-built go-kart so mm-hmm. it was pretty cool i was out there with him when he welded it um it was just cool to watch it all happen, you know. I mean, I remember the first time we got the motor on it and didn't have it all complete, but just had it's kind of a rolling chassis. And I remember my dad having a throttle cable and let me sit in it and steer it. And he had the throttle cable by his hand, and he'd you know just run me up and down the driveway real slow and just getting used to everything. Cool, cool. So after, so once you, I say, we'll say graduated from that class. Did you, uh, when did you start, like, where's, where did it all go from there? Well, we actually started a, um, running Honda six and a half horsepower overhead valve stuff long before the clones stuff. Flatheads are still really huge. 
but we tried to start this class running six and a half horsepower Hondas and had a good group of us. You know, we're, we're from the part of the country where not that we were in the dark, but just things were a little bit different, you know, um, just like when you go to other, you know, parts of the country, things just a little bit different. So I raced in that class for a little while and then we ended up running, uh, Mike Burris had an engine package class, the Yamaha F200. Um, if anybody knows what that was, that was, you could run an animal Kohler to come see Honda, um, any of them basically kind of open rules. It's like, um, limited basically. And then they had restrictor plates for them for juniors. And then they had the opens, the adults with no restrictor plates. And you ran a gas Tillerson that was on pump gas with a Tillerson. Um, I ran that class, you know, when I was a kid, um, ran a little bit of flathead stuff, but not much. I didn't pass 13, 12, 13. I didn't really race much, honestly. Um, by that point, there's just a lot going on, and I raced here and there, but I didn't really race much. Um, I started helping a guy from my hometown, um, Billy Brenniger, used to have a, he had a transmission shop, he owned a transmission shop, and his stepson raced, and I'd go help them on the weekends, run the Mississippi Maxis series and stuff like that. When I got older, I really went into just helping on the weekend, just going to the big races, helping Wesley LeBlanc back in the day because me and Wesley grew up together. Like, he started racing when I started racing. He was just a little bit older, 11, 12, and I was 5 and 6. So I remember Wesley way back when, when he was a kid, um, which everybody knows Wesley now, just now. But I remember him way back in the day, um, back in the early 2000s. Gotcha. Yeah, during our... Uh... During our conversation, I, we were talking a little before this. I was I was really impressed with. Uh, I did an interview with him last Friday, uh, a couple of days ago, and I you know I never really talked to him, but just you know really got his stuff together. And he, I think just like you, I mean, he he has a lot of thought that goes into uh, you know each little detail that he does do. So um, so how I mean, how do you think? So back then, do you think that may have even helped you a little bit more? Um, you know, being able to get to those races that maybe you wouldn't have been able to go to just to not only to help, but to see racing. And I always kind of refer to race IQ. I mean, you were taking the opportunity that um, even though you were not racing necessarily as much, you were still improving your race IQ by just being around it and, and working with it and stuff like that. And uh, it, it seems like that, is that when you really started really getting into racing? I mean, it sounds like you liked working on it and learning about it just as much as you did racing at the time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just didn't really have the money to run those races. So if I could just be around it, I was, you know, tickled pink. You know, some kids these days, you know, they're not racing. They don't, you know, want to be there or nothing. I was all for it to learn every aspect of it in a way. Um, I'd work my butt off pushing to and back from the grid and washing tires and changing gear and uh that's honestly where a lot of my opportunities have come from. Uh, honestly, just keep your head down and dig and learn all you can. Like even to this day, if I can't, you know, be racing or something, or when Chris takes a break during the off season, I still want to be at the racetrack just to follow it because, you know, 
things change so rapidly in the sport. Um, just new things and new ideas and new ways that people are doing tires. I mean, just doing tires have come a long way and different people's perspective and just working on the go-kart side of things. And I love to be there. I love to watch racing. I'm just a student of everything. I like want to watch everybody, you know, like Shay and Yarborough and Jamie and all them. I'll watch them like a hawk just to see like with two to go, like, how do they judge the race being a leader, being second, or how the race plays out? Because it's, it's a lot of just – it's hard to explain, but it's just better for me to go watch it and see it from a different perspective or go look at it from the other side of the racetrack and to watch some people's lines or what their tendencies are. There's it's a lot of things that I try to look at and be a student of. Yeah, and I and I absolutely agree, and I, I kind of have a similar, you know, the similar type story where, you know, I was lucky enough to basically I went and washed tires for the first year and traveled for free just to to be on like the national level and seeing things, you know, what what was going on and you know size and tires and mountain and changing and stuff like that and just watching people prep and I think a lot of people want to get into it and they're like, oh, you know, if I'm not getting paid, I'm not going to go, but. You know, it's it's all what you perceive as being paid. You know, if you want to be paid in knowledge, then it's a great opportunity to take place. And just like you said, how you really, you know, you really study the game. I was lucky enough that when I started with Brandon White, you know, he was always in the junior classes, you know, for like the first, you know, six, seven, eight years. So we would always, you know, obviously do our thing and race. But I always had the opportunity to watch, you know, Todd Miller and, you know, jail furrow go back and forth and Knopf and bajer and and higgy and like all these guys i was able to see the best that were at that track out there racing and um it, it really improved you know my understanding of, of racing a lot of people see it and they don't understand the little subtleties and the moves and things like that and um you know i think people could could probably get a lot better just by taking time to to pay more attention to little things like that especially you know kids coming up and stuff so yeah, absolutely. Um, just like I said, I, I got to wash, you know, tires for a bunch of different people. Um, when I moved up here, you know, I got to be, even when I was still down south in Louisiana, Brent Smith from Indiana with SBR, Carts and Parts, um, mm-hmm. they were huge in the mid-2000s. Um, yeah, that's big I, he, yep. he He moved his he kind of slowed down and started going down south to pick up customers and I'd go help him. And I basically acted like a sponge. I'd go, you know, pit for his kid and his kid was still racing Braden Smith. And I'd just be a sponge in the trailer to try to learn anything I could, um, just because I loved every aspect of it. Um, no matter what my involvement was, but I loved the aspect of it, being able to learn new things and, just being surrounded by people and when I moved up here probably the first people that I got to help was Patrick Gilliam um he was coming up north from Alabama and I knew had knew him from down south from going to a few shows in Mississippi and Alabama with the Maxa stuff I became you know pretty good friends with Patrick and everybody knows Patrick's really good with Burris and he was racing around Paradise and stuff with Flip Carden and I got to help wrench on his stuff and be a part of that deal. And 
learn from Patrick and be good friends. It's just a good environment between Brent Smith and Patrick Gilliam. And uh, it was just a cool experience to get hooked up with all those people and learn. So how did you go from the, so let's go back a little bit and you were, you know, you said through 13, 14 or 15, you know, you really weren't racing a whole lot, even though you were involved and in going to different, you know, to help out different people. How, take me from like, you know, your mid teenage years to, um, to moving up to North Carolina. Can you uh, just tell me about that a little bit? Well, originally I had wanted to go to school up here. I then made up my mind that I wanted to be a part of racing and make a living racing. I felt like I had the mindset I was young enough that didn't have a family or kids that if something happened and it didn't work out, I could just come right back home. So I might as well give it a shot. So I actually met Chris Harris through Wesley. Um, I originally was going to try to, you know, move in with Chris Harris and try to get my feet on the ground up here in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, where Chris is still in the hotbed of racing in North Carolina, really centrally located, try to go to school up here. It ended up, I didn't go to school, but, and I didn't get to move in with Chris. Certain circumstances happened, didn't get that opportunity. But while I was up here with Wesley and hanging out and it's just, is a good group of people because Wesley still had a tire business down there in Louisiana. He had a really successful tire business. And actually, my first time, you know, being in North Carolina at the racetrack, ended up coming in 2012 to Williamston with Wesley. We loaded up a bunch of tires in the bed of the truck, drove like 15, 16 hours up here. Wesley was going to ride for Chris Harris, one of his second go-karts. Chris was going to run super heavy. Wesley was going to run the stock stuff. And I got to meet Chris and, you know, go down the street to CKI racing with Donnie Nall and all that. It's just like a cool experience because I'm just a kid from Louisiana. And, you know, you just hear about him in Chasing Racing Magazine. And everything's larger than life to me at this point. Um, it still is, you know. So I – uh Got to be involved with a lot of good people, and we ended up making it up here to Williamston, built a relationship with Chris Harris. Um, then I ended up, it didn't really work out with Chris being able to, you know, live with him or nothing like that, but I met a mutual friend through Donnie and a few people like Joe McCone and stuff like that. I actually met a guy who worked at RCR down the road from Chris Harris, a single guy who was an engineer. He worked at RCR. He used to race go-karts back in the day. He was from Iowa. His name is John McLeanard. He was real cool with Donnie Nall and all them. He had an apartment up here in Winston. He was working at RCR. Well, I'd saved a bunch of money. Actually, it was, it was a funny story how I ended up with the money to move up here. I was trying to figure out a way to have the money. My dad had had... I can't really remember honestly, but he had had a job at his work that had to do with a bunch of wire. And honestly, he brought a, like a truck bed load of wire. And it was locomotive wire, so it was bigger than zero-gauge wire. And I stripped locomotive wire, a bunch of it, and I went to the... I forget what you call it. Ah, this Which, is... A recycling or salvage yard? Yes, or a recycling salvage yard. Mm-hmm and turned in a bunch of stripped copper wire 
and got enough money to move up here and hold me off because I had moved up here with, you know, a place to live. He renewed his contract, you know, to have another apartment. So we moved into a two-bedroom apartment here in Winston-Salem. And I got involved with McLovin. They call him McLovin because he looks just like McLovin. He's an engineer at RCR. Mm-hmm. And I lived with him. So basically stripped wire and moved up here. <clears throat> and uh, it's just it's a crazy story uh, when you really think about it. And had no job, nothing. Like, I literally just moved up here. I was like, it's now or never. It's going to happen now or it's never going to happen. Um, because I held it off a year or two after high school to try to save money and get it going to move up here. And I ended up going to work. I did a little bit of stereo work, you know, car audio, before I, when I was in Louisiana after high school. Ended up finding a job at a cardio place, um, started working there, made me work weekends. I was like, man, I moved up here for racing. I don't want to work weekends. I want to go to the racetrack. And it, it was bad, you know. I was like, man, I want to get to racing, you know, going to the racetrack to help people get my foot in the door, figure out what I want to do. Um, at this point, I still had no clue what I wanted to do. So... Um, being from Winston-Salem, obviously Michigan Motorsports is located in Winston-Salem. So, um, me, um, John McLeanard, Joe McCone, uh, Donnie Nall, we'd all started going out on Monday nights. We called it Monday Fun Day. We'd just go out to a restaurant, go hang out, have a good time. Monday fun day was our deal. So I got my foot in the door with a lot of people like Donnie Nall and stuff like that. And Eddie Michu would come every once in a while and we'd have Monday fun day. So then that takes place of Eddie Michu and getting my foot in the door with him. So I'd, you know, go up to his shop, hang out with him. And for some reason, you know, he really took a liking into me. And, um, hang out with him motors i felt like was always my forte and my niche like i just loved engines you know more than doing tires or anything i love wrenching on stuff but you know motors are so cool you know i mean it's just being able to build a motor and see it run around the racetrack is just something that you can't explain and uh ended up getting involved with eddie and, you know, I was going through a time where I didn't really want to be at the stereo shop, didn't like electrical stuff, didn't want to be involved in car audio. And, you know, we had talked about Eddie hiring me and stuff like that. And it, we, we finally came to uh, reach the deal for me to come to work for Eddie. So then that opened up a whole new door. So I started working for Eddie Michoud. Um, at that time, his kid was kind of going to college and going to school and getting into uh, basically not being too involved in racing at the moment. So I felt like, you know, I kind of filled a void in a way because his kid was off going to college and stuff like that because we're kind of the same age. So I kind of just started hanging out with Eddie and working for him. And uh, that was a really good time. So, and his son, you're, you're talking about Trey. And, um, yep. That's, that's cool. And so, out of, out of curiosity, do they still do uh, Monday Fun Day, or is that something that's no longer going on? 
Nah, it's it's unfortunately it's no longer going on. Everybody's grew up and got wives and girlfriends and kids and all that stuff got killed. But uh, that's that was a good time, man. A lot of good memories from that. We had a blast doing that a few times, you know, because it was a few guys through RCR. Um, Austin and Ty Dillon would come out with us every once in a while and hang out. And that was just pretty cool, you know, to me, just to sit down at dinner and hang out with Austin and Ty Dillon and just being involved in racing. Like, this, this is just what I moved up here for. This is what I wanted to do. So, when you, a couple questions about kind of like the move, I guess is what we'll call it. Is uh, one, your, your parents, were they, were, what were their thoughts on, on you moving up here? Were they, they uh, supportive? Were they, you know, hesitant? Were they just, you know, do whatever and figure it out? I mean, just kind of curiosity. Just as a parent, I was just kind of curious. What were they talking to you about? I mean, you, did you talk to them about it a lot? How did that take place? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we uh, they were fully supportive of it, 110 percent. Um, you know, like other parents would talk to my parents when they were talking about, you know, me moving and moving 13 hours away from home. You know. They were fully supportive, and my dad was like, you know, I I got to be a part of his life for 18, 19 years. Now it's his time for him to do his thing and live his life, and they've got to be a part of me, and they were just grateful that they got to have me for 18, 19 years, and now they were just, I think, excited for me to go out to the world and try to make my mark, so they were fully supportive. It was to this day, one of the toughest things I ever had to do is leave home. Um, it's really tough leaving home, and I, I'm an only child, so as you can tell, it's probably pretty rough on them, you know? Um, probably backing out the driveway, having to look at my mother crying at the front door while I drove off, and driving to North Carolina was pretty tough. Um, that really hit me hard, and it wasn't nothing, you know, just your baby's leaving, you know, I mean, that's all there is to it, you know, I mean, he's moving 13 hours away to chase a dream. Good to you. And when you, when you were deciding on if you were going to come up here, or I say up here, up to North Carolina, did you have goals, um, like where you wanted to be in a couple years, like what you wanted to do when you got up there, or did you just, you just wanted to get up there and then you, you just figured out the rest once you got there? Well, I, I, you know, I kept going along with I was going to go to school, you know, go to college, go to um, be, because they had a few motorsports, being North Carolina, they got a few motorsports type of college courses and stuff like that, and I just, I don't know, I just never really wanted to go to school, I figured I'd just do it the hard way, and whatever happens, happens, you know, Um I don't know why I didn't. I don't think I wanted to be in student debt. I don't – I just felt like I was just going to have to do me, and I really never had no plan, honestly. Just one thing led to another, being – trying to be an open book and learn from people and surrounding myself by really good people. So I guess, you know, not that I've accomplished a whole lot, but just the stuff that I have accomplished in a short time – just to not give up and surround yourself with the right people more than anything. Um, people are willing to help you and take you places that you can't take by yourself. 
if you just support people and work hard and uh, it's, it's a pretty cool deal. There's a lot of people that have helped me to this point. What? Let's see. When when you moved up here, so you went through, you know, at first, you know, it sounds like, you know, you're going to kind of have your idea on school. A couple things didn't work out as far as where you're going to live, um, what you would be doing. You end up doing some car audio stuff and electrical work or whatever. And any any point during that time or even since then, um, did, the, did the doubt kind of creep in? Like, did you question your move? Did you kind of question... You know, we all do at different points in life, but I mean, were you really questioning it, or you just you just were so focused on your goal that you just didn't didn't worry about that? Um, oh man, it got it got rough at times. You know, I mean, absolutely, it was was this the right thing to do, or do I come back to Louisiana? Or um, it it was honest, it was mentally tough more than anything, just to know that what am I doing here? Am I doing the right thing? And Whenever I'd get real down and out or, you know, just want to give up, something else, another door would open up. Um, because funny story about where I'm at now was because of one of them tough times. Um, just like the Eddie Mishu deal, you know, I was tired of working weekends because having to work a Saturday for car audio and wanting to be at a racetrack helping somebody or doing something involved in a racetrack. It opened the door for me to learn and build engines with Eddie Mishu and man, he was such a such a good student and teacher of teaching me things and not only about engines and go karts and tires, but just about life. Um, just hearing other people's perspective on different things helped me out a lot just to figure out life because when you're twenty one 19, 20, you don't, you don't know what you're doing yet and where life's going to take you, but you just keep digging and keep your head down and just keep working hard because some, something will come up. I mean, it's, you keep surrounding yourself with good people. Something will come up. Yeah. I'm 38 and I'm still trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. So when you, um, just to kind of go back for a second, when you started at Michigan Motorsports, what... Like, what were some of the things that you did during the day? Like, what were your daily tasks? And how, how did you start out there? And how did Eddie kind of bring you along as far as kind of showing you the ropes on not only motors, but, you know, everything else involved in the racing aspect? So, actually, uh, I started there. I think one of the first times I got my opportunity, I think Trey was working there still, going to school, but going to go to school full time, so he couldn't work much. So... He had gone on a beach vacation or something to Myrtle Beach, and Eddie was like, hey, man, I need some help. You want to come help me for a few days? Just tear down motors and be able to clean parts and just help me out, you know, because Eddie's just one guy. So I'd show up after work at the stereo shop and come to the shop and tear down motors and go scrub parts in a solvent tank and clean parts and put engines on the dyno and all kinds of things and I was just in heaven you know I mean being able to work on go-kart engines I mean that was like the greatest thing ever you know I mean I was pumped and then on top of that I'm gonna get paid you know <laughs> and then it just one thing led to another that he hired me so it started out you know just at the beginning just tearing motors down um cleaning parts 
prepping certain things, you know, rods, um, cleaning blocks after he honed them, sandblasting stuff. Um, it just kept building and building and he'd teach me things and teach me more things. And, um, it was probably the best learning experience I've ever had as far as racing to this day. Um, just being able to be a part of the motor side and just processes and certain things you do and just little things. It was just great. Um, you can go to school all you want to, but until you start doing things, you'll never really learn and click. And uh, I'm so thankful for the opportunity that I got to work with him for two years. Um, it was great. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that, you know, Michio is definitely kind of, you know, in my opinion, one of the, I always joke around and say go-kart gods, but, you know, I mean, if you have a handful of 10 to 20 people that have really over the last 30 or 40 years, I mean, he's definitely up there. Yeah, I mean, you got Todd Miller, Ron Moon, you know, Eddie Michu, Cooterman. You just <laughs> all these guys from back in the day, and it it was not only that, but it was so awesome to work and just listen to old stories about the Briggs Three Hundred or well, I remember when the he first raced. One. I was there. I, yeah, yeah. I mean, he he did it all. He raced. I mean, he built his own go karts. I mean, it was cool to look up to a guy that built his own engines built his own go-karts, did his own tires, and drove. I mean, there's not many people that do that these days. And uh, it was it was cool just to listen to stories. Like, he'll get on the phone late at night with Cooterman or something and talk about back in the day or this and that. And it was just like, I'd just be a sponge. Like, I loved listening to stories back in the day. Like, you know, some people you know, miss NASCAR in the nineties. Well, that's how I was with go-karts in the nineties. Like <laughs> I wished I could have been up there in the nineties just to experience just the transition to go-kart racing. And, you know, I mean, Eddie, he came from nothing too, you know I mean? He started his own business from scratch and it's just cool to see what all he built. Yeah. That, that's cool. And I, you know, we, we used to run when Brandon race and actually, I mean, Alex may have been, running for them when you were you were up there was that maybe a little bit after or before you that was that was actually a little bit before when <clears throat> when alex was in junior two and junior three that's when he was with eddie and i had not been up there yet i was still in high school and stuff living in louisiana okay yeah because we and that was a little bit when brandon was racing because we went up there i've only had had a chance to meet eddie really hang out there for the day i think we went up there grabbed some motors and carts and we raced liberty and but we were there for a couple of days went out to eat with him and i, th- I think that's when chavis was there too and um yeah because uh connell had worked for eddie yeah, chavis Con- had yeah. worked for eddie <clears throat> uh, there's a lot of good people came out of that shop um a lot of good people so it was like cool you know where connell is now to know that like he got his start with eddie too um so it just it helped me out from a mental standpoint that there's a lot to learn and there's a whole lot to be learned and just keep being a sponge and learning things and you know not only you know any issue maybe one day i'll get him on here um but i another name you mentioned that you actually when I was first kind of thinking about even starting the little podcast and stuff, then now you mentioned Cooterman as far as getting him on and, and telling stories and stuff like that. So if he does listen to this, he's he has an open invitation, and uh, you know, there's probably one that I, you know, probably one I'd like to do in person. You know, to sit down, maybe we'll meet at a race one day, or you can make the introduction and 
maybe we can sit down one time because I've I've heard his name a lot. I know he used to talk with a hammer, who's you know that's who I learned from. That he used to go with Moon. So, um, you know, they're all all the guys have been around. Like he said, I could literally sit there with a couple beers and just listen to stories like story time at you know the library or something. So. Oh, absolutely. Cooterman would be a great guy just to get his perspective because Cooterman, you know, he's been in the sport since the 80s. I mean, he's been around for everything. I mean, he's been a race promoter, an engine builder, a tire guy. I mean, Cooterman's done it all. So just to see his perspective of where the sport's going and how it's changed and the history and being real close, you know, I mean, he's taking weeks off and going up to Ron Moon's shop and helped Ron out. He's really close to Ron Moon and just to see his perspective of things. And Cooterman's a great guy. I mean, I love when I catch a break from the racetrack and Cooterman's at the racetrack, I love to just go talk to Cooterman and pick his brain or uh, just listen to a funny story from back in the day with Ron Moon or something. Because, I mean, Ron Moon's kind of like, you know, Dale Earnhardt to everybody in NASCAR, you know? I mean, it's that guy was the man. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Ron Moon, actually, I started racing back, I don't know if it was like 89, I think, back at Piney Neck, but Ron actually built my first motor, which is a Junior Sportsman 1, but this is when he was working at Robinson Speed Shop up here in uh, Pittsville, Maryland. So it's kind of funny, you know, kind of funny how, like, we all we all are separated across the country, but uh, even from the beginning, back in, like, the, the 80s and stuff, a lot of people were just were tight back then, and it's... Like their fam, their carding family has kind of spread out, and we're all kind of connected in a way. So, I, you know, I think that's kind of cool too. Absolutely, like <laughs> I said, keep surrounding yourself with people because through mutual people, you get to meet more people, and that can take you places uh, more than you thought. When I moved up here, I had no ride. I didn't. It was tough for me. I didn't. I had no money to race. Nothing. You know. I mean, I didn't have anything. I could just barely live and survive. And through Eddie Michu, I got my my first actual race here. He's got his best friend, Alan Richardson. His name is R.D. He runs super heavy just around here. Um, good old boy. Just do anything for you. And uh, his super heavyweight was kind of like my lightweight. So one night, we was just at Woodleaf. I was hanging out on a Friday night. Woodleaf, you know, I just lived right there so I rode out to Woodleaf and you know I'd been hanging out with Eddie and doing certain things but as RD was like man why don't you run you know clone light for me you know I'm in an extra large seat and the steering shaft sky high and <laughs> looking out the left side of the go-kart and uh at that time you know not everybody knows but Tyson Fries I mean he's real good competitor real good guy he had been owning Woodleaf at that time and uh, just every weekend, just killing them down there. And uh, I ended up actually winning that night. Um, Tyson had passed me at one point. We had a caution, and I held off Tyson just to make the win. And I'm, you know, go-kart's not even scaled out, nothing. I'm just hanging out, looking out the left side of the go-kart. I can send you the picture of the go-kart because the steering wheel's taller than my helmet, you know. I mean, I'm just, <laughs> he's riding super heavy, and I'm going to ride clone light, you know, so... It was that meant more to me, Eddie, just being a mutual friend to RD and a good customer and his best friend just being able to race. And uh, I got to start right there just to be able to drive. How, when, you, when you got that opportunity, how long have, 
had it been since you had actually raced? I mean, were you racing uh, any up to that or just? I, no, I really hadn't. I, I had not been in the seat. Um, I was just there pitting and helping people. And that was it, man. That was one of the first rides. And then I got involved with Mark Mode through Eddie Miss You because Eddie and Mark are really tight. And uh, Mark Mode, another person who's been around the sport forever, and uh, Trick Olympic Chassis, and I heard him and a guy were teaming up, and uh, Mode was looking for a driver. And Eddie had just threw my name out there. Hey, man, this kid, you know, I got up here, he's looking for a ride and stuff, you know. So Eddie and um, they had gotten me hooked up with Modes. So I went up to Modes and started, drove an hour up to Statesville, North Carolina, and started getting hooked up with Mode and started riding for Mode. And it was, I was so pumped because I was like, man, like, this is my break, you know. I finally get to race and, um, do a bunch of stuff and get to race with people and go to all these racetracks and experience racing because I hadn't got to experience it yet. And it was a huge learning curve, you know, that I had to, cause now I got all these people pouring money into it and I got to start driving and winning. And, you know, it was a huge learning curve cause I ain't been racing all these tracks all my life. Like these people that have grown up in North Carolina. So it was a huge learning curve for me and, Thank goodness, you know, I, I felt like I adapted pretty quick. Um, racing at Woodleaf, Hanging Rock, and Coal Ridge, and Liberty, and places like that. Being able to race, we were we were really successful around the house. And uh, one thing led to another. That's just another statement of surrounding yourself by the right people. And Eddie, I guess he saw something in me, you know. I mean, Eddie always jokes around that I love racing so much, I'd run a 1989 Margay links on coke syrup with 54 left like that was always his <laughs> running joke because he thought i loved racing that much um that i'd ride anything or do anything even if it you know wasn't capable of winning i would just ride it you know i just wanted to race like that's how much i love it why did uh do you know why he thought that or what he saw in you and um and it seems like you know so far we still have obviously some more of the story to go but it seems like a lot of people, you know, have gone out of their way and really seen something in you as a person or as a kid or, or whatever that, that they wanted to help you. And I, I don't think, you know, there's a lot of people out there that want to help people, but it seems like a lot have really, they looked at you and they wanted to help you. Do you have any idea what they saw or, or why, or, or how do they get this, this feeling that you love it so much? Just your, um... I mean, Honestly, I really don't know. I guess it's just my work ethic and being intrigued with the sport. And you just, I guess you don't meet many kids that are hungry for it, you know, these days as much. Uh, just being, I guess they seen how passionate I was and I was like a sponge and I was intrigued and wanted to know more about this or that or, you know, with mode, you know, that's, this guy had a 28 foot trailer and I drive an hour after work on Mondays to come wash the outside of the trailer and wash the inside of the trailer and scrub the floors and clean two go-karts every week and come back on Thursday and scale out, come back on Friday and load up the trailer and Saturday go racing. I mean, that's, <laughs> that was all I knew. Like 
if I didn't have the money, then I was going to have to work for it, and I was going to have to be better than everybody else working for it. So that's basically the mindset I took was I was going to outwork everybody for it because talent can only take you so far, but work ethic and stuff can take you way farther. I definitely agree. I definitely agree. That should be a meme or a quote posted on a meme somewhere on Facebook. You know? <laughs> so. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so when you so you're riding for for Trick Olympic and um, where how I mean how did that go? What were you guys just racing around more of like the regional area of North Carolina and stuff? Yeah, like that? we were. We just raced, you know, local races at the beginning at Woodleaf and Coleridge. We'd go to Woodleaf on Friday, go Saturday to Coleridge, or go to Hanging Rock. And I remember one night at Hanging Rock at a local race, Knopf was racing Hanging Rock there for a while, and I literally ran second to Knopf in every class. And you know, I was pumped because you know I just started racing and I just. Out of, you know, 10, 15 people out there, I ran second to Knopf. So I was like, this is just a huge win for me. Like, growing up, knowing Jamie Knopf and what all he's done and accomplished and Hanging Rock's like, you know, his backyard, being able to run, you know, bumper to bumper with Knopf. Like, that's something people don't understand or some people take for granted, like, that some people want to race and never have the opportunity or the right means for it. And, just being able to be out there, like I was thankful for it and amazed that I got to be out there and racing with guys like that. Childhood heroes, basically. I mean, that's like kids in NASCAR that got to race with Jeff Gordon or, you know, just it, Kyle Bush and stuff. Like, that was my heroes. So it was just really cool to be out there and to be able to do that. Do you, just out of curiosity, do you talk to, are you friends with Jamie and stuff? Yeah, I mean, we're not, like, you know, best buddies or nothing, but I've seen him at the grid or wherever racing because Knopf and Armstrong and a bunch of those guys, they come to Liberty in certain places or I'll be at, you know, some racetrack, and we'll talk in the grid about the racetrack or something. Uh, you know, Jamie's a pretty quiet guy. You know, it's, he's not, you know, really too open, but, you know, I mean, we talk, we're friends. Um, it's all those guys up look up to him in a way that it's it's nothing like i have any ill will towards my competitors you know yeah i mean i was just curious i just like said just kind of curious just uh i'm sure you know someone like jamie that's been in there forever along with a lot of people that have performed at a high level and then you know you have a lot of a lot of people like yourself that perform at a high level and are good people and you know i'm, I'm hopefully they get to at least hear the part that you know that they do have people like you that they've looked up to and kind of like their heroes and stuff like that so um, that was all as far as that goes but um so all right so when you're we're we're racing again so we're um when how long did you ride for uh with trick olympic and and mode and those guys how long did that go and i think i rode right about a year till him and the other guy that was footing the bill for racing they had both kind of mutually split and then they ended up with Brandon Owen was the next guy. Mm -hmm. So I basically was out of ride. I basically rode for him about a good year, honestly. A year, year and a quarter, I think I'd rode for them. Um, Before that, though, I would moved up here, and I had never had a new go-kart, never in my life. So I moved up here in 2013, 
Well, for Christmas, I moved that summer of 2013. Just to give you a timeline, I moved up here summer of 2013. Then my mom decided to get me a Phantom Triton or a go-kart of my choice for Christmas. And I was pumped because I had never had a new go-kart in my life. Always had used equipment. Uh, you know, never really had no money. So winter time 2013 i got me a phantom triton so i was pumped like i had this joker in the bedroom of my apartment like putting it together like just the best thing ever so i all winter long i put this go-kart together put it together how i wanted to and at this point i'm still like helping people and through you know a mutual friend in louisiana and it's a complicated story, but somehow I got hooked up with Matt Connell and started going to the racetrack with Matt Connell. This was when Jesse Riggins was driving for Matt Connell. And this is also when they had the Unili, the tire manufacturer, was putting up a bunch of Unili tire money and races and stuff like that. Well, they had a big race in Why Not Mississippi, and... Connell needed a semi-pro driver, a no-pro driver. This is when no-pro was kind of starting to get big. Well, I'm going down there to Mississippi to pit for Connell, and somehow or another, I got jumped into riding no-pro. And uh, I'm like, this is the greatest weekend of my life. I get to race (laughs) for Connell. Like, Connell is the man. Like, this is the best. So... We ended up going down to No Pro Mississippi. I think there's like 80 or 90 people in No Pro, honestly. Like, Gaylord came down there. Jerry Mullis came down there to Mississippi. It is a quarter-mile dirt car track, okay? Uh, this is what we're racing on. So, you know, I get a practice in. Um, but all the time, I'm still wrenching for Riggins and on the main go-kart. I mean, I'm buggy-pushing. I'm, you know, working hard, like... And I haven't rode in, like, I can't tell you how long. So I'm, like, trying not to fall out of the seat. I'm (laughs) wrenching, buggy pushing. Ended up winning that night out of, like, you know, 80 go-karts. It was 2,000 to win. Ended up winning. I mean, it was a quarter-mile dirt track. Should be easy to drive. And I'm over here, like, falling out the seat, sawing the wheel. I mean, Connell had everything perfect, you know. I mean, it drove like an absolute dream. And I'm like over here, you know, about to throw it away, but somehow I don't, you know. And I ended up winning this thing for 2000 to win. And I think that kind of propelled me too a little bit to like, hey, this kid's got a little bit in him. Like, he can actually drive a little bit, just need to get him some seat time, you know. So that was before the whole mode deal. And, you know, that was at the point where I was – hanging out with Eddie Miss you too. So there's just a lot going on right there in that time frame that was going on and working for me. Well, that's good, man. That, that definitely, uh, one, I think just seeing people seeing you in that ride for Connell and then two, going out there to win. I mean, you were, you were definitely adding credibility to your name and stuff like that. So um, that was a good deal. Yes, absolutely. <clears throat> so when, uh, when did you end up getting hooked up with, um, with Chris Harris and TrackTech. I mean, so you obviously you knew him from the time you came up here because you, you almost moved in with him or whatever. But um, take me to where, the, where you really got hooked up with him and started racing, and, or unless there's something in between that I should that you want to say. 
Well, I mean, after the mode deal fell through and they moved on, we all moved on, I was kind of rideless, you know? I mean, I didn't really have a purpose or anything just to go back to buggy pushing, you know, and helping people and trying to open more doors. So I think, like, it had ended, you know, in the fall of, you know, 2014, all the mode stuff with Trick Olympic. So I ended up, didn't have no ride it was thanksgiving i didn't know what to do and then wesley's trying to build his business and his go-kart and wesley at this time still based out of louisiana so i go down to batesville mississippi for the indoor race for thanksgiving and ride no pro for wesley and once again i'm 115 pounds and 5'4 i'm built like a junior two driver okay so i'm in this kid that's 5'11 and runs a medium seat and I'm flopping around and ended up winning no pro again down there in Batesville um, for Wesley. So that was just another thing that kind of helped me out. And, you know, I did a little few hit and miss deals like um, Mark Moe's right hand man, Brandon Mullis with Mullis Speed Concepts. He was down here. He moved down here from up north and he's been helping out mode and stuff. And, uh, we rode a few indoor shows on Coke Syrup. We went to Motorama and raced there and um, just did a few, like, hit or miss things. And uh, one thing led to another. I can't even remember how me and Chris got hooked up in the first – because this is the second time I've rode for Chris because I've rode for him one other time. Um, and we broke up, and then now we're back together for these last two years that we've been together. But I think just between – Wesley and mutual friends and me and Chris being friends Chris you know he kind of took a break through some life events of racing decided to get back into racing but I don't think you know he wanted to be driving and stuff so and um March of 2015 in the spring we decided to go racing together me and Chris because I didn't have nothing going on and Chris was trying to get back going so we had we didn't even have a trailer at the time. Our first race was out of a lawnmower trailer. Like we literally rode down the Carolina 120 Speedway in a lawnmower trailer for their first local race to race out of a lawnmower trailer, uh, open bed trailer. So we go down there and race and have a blast, and then we get a trailer and we just start racing. We started racing all of 2015 around the house at Liberty and Coleridge and just any races we could we tried to race and uh, at that time I was working for Eddie by that time so I was getting able to build my own motors and get experience and just learning every aspect of racing gotcha did you uh just kind of out of curiosity as far as I don't know the I don't exactly know the whole how it all works as far as um you know, I know Chris obviously works at TrackTac and, and, and does a lot there. Is TrackTac also help sponsor um, your current ride? So- yes, they, they do. They do sponsor us. Um, absolutely, it is. But most of it uh, just comes out of me and Chris Harris's pocket. Um, I, I mean, we don't have a big budget to work from. Um, you know, Chris is doing all he can, and I'm doing all I can, and... We make make it work with what little we got. Um, we've got a few other go karts that race with us, and tried to you know help 
foot the bill a little bit and we've got one kid that just moved out of junior three to adults and we just picked up a junior one driver this year um just uh you know just help with any expenses because it does get expensive um you gotta have tires to run up front and you know we basically you know buy one or two sets every few weeks just to keep the tire cycle going and you know i'm over here footing you know entry fees and anything else and we me and chris make it happen um that's about all i can say about that yeah and kind of the only reason i was curious just kind of from like a I guess from if you want to call it a house team or a factory driver, or, you know, however all that kind of goes. I just, you know, it, you kind of represent like when you guys are out there, you, you know, you're you're representing not only Wesley's business, um, Track Tech, also. But I mean, I just didn't know if you felt any any more pressure just because um, not that you're necessarily making or breaking them, but you're definitely you're one of the 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 big I guess one of the main teams for both of those businesses I mean do you feel any added pressure like to have to do good or to have to represent everything good or do you just it's just I mean absolutely I mean it's not any you know big pressure now that I've been racing you know four or five years and I know that I give it 110 percent every Saturday and um whatever I have to do to make it happen but I don't really feel any added. I mean, I do because I do represent companies, and the the pressure I feel is not for everybody else, but people like Wesley and Chris Harris and stuff that are taking money out of their own pocket to afford for me to do it because nobody's got to do it. You know, I mean, Chris don't have to race. He could, you know, work for Track Tech and do his deal Monday through Friday and that's all he you know has to do but we do more and so with everybody you know there's it's not an unlimited budget so for him to spend his hard-earned money on me to go racing and me to enjoy this that I feel the pressure you know when we run bad you know or I make a mistake I'm like man you know I'm really sorry you know like I should have been better on the wheel and stuff like that you know it does kind of you know, it is a lot of pressure on you, you know, I mean, you have to perform, and yeah, there's rough patches, and there's good times, and bad times, and the bad times make you appreciate the good times. Yeah, good answer, man, I, I, and I was just kind of curious, just because, you know, it seems like you've, you've had a bunch of rides, but at the same time, you, this seems like one of, maybe like more of your, your long, long-term type rides, you know, it seems like you get in a good ride, you do good, and then, it's gone, you know, so I just, I was just kind of curious, but, um, and when you guys as a team or as a driver, it's just, you know, just talking about you and Chris right now, as far as your little team you have going on, when you guys get into a bad, a bad patch or bad spell of races, not because of wrecks, just because, you know, what was working is not working. Like what's, what are some of the things that you guys are talking about or what are some of the first things that you're, you're looking to change or redo or, or kind of just to get back to square one, if you do get off base, maybe for like a two or three week period, and you're just you've got a little loss. I mean, we all we all get there, you know. I mean, it's what was working yesterday doesn't work today, and then you just got to kind of regroup and stuff. What are what are some of the things you guys talk about as a team, or uh, the things that you attack as far as trying to get back on the right path? Yeah, I mean, we're we're constantly trying to get better and make things better. Um, 
just like the last few weekends, when you get a brand new go-kart or nothing, you know, everything's not going to be balanced and perfect on the go-kart and be ripping first time out. And um, especially things we struggled with just because of my size. Um, I'm like 5'4", 5'5", 115 pounds, so I don't transfer weight, you know, like a lot of those normal size guys. So I struggle a lot of times for bite, you know, so... We're rolling tires a lot deeper for um, than normal people. You know, let's say somebody would be on a two-week, you know, 75, and I'm going to be on, you know, a fresh 120cc tire. And um, it's, it's a struggle always to make bite, and it's always going through my brain a ways to get the go-kart more balanced for me and to make more bite. And... Um, it, whatever we got to do, like, you know, me, Wesley, and Chris will all sit down and try to figure out ways to get better, what we need to do to the go-kart or what we need to do to the tires. I mean, that's some of the best things to do while we're loading up or headed home from the racetrack or during the week we'll call each other and just brainstorm and pick each other's brains on what we need to do to get better. I mean, it's a constant struggle, and that's what's cool about racing um nobody's got it figured out or they call it winning but we call it racing because you're not going to win every time so we're always trying i mean you know wesley there for a while i mean he he went every saturday at a racetrack and every sunday he'd test after the races it didn't matter like i'd go down there to go help him test at liberty or something on a sunday and we'd just go testing whether it's to help wesley understand something better to make us better or you know, it was, it's a constant struggle, and I mean, it's cool, like, it makes you appreciate the the good times you run, or when you do hit it right, and it runs so good, it, it makes you appreciate it, because I promise you, this sport is the most humbling thing you'll ever be a part of, you know, one week, you could win all three clone classes, and the next week, you know, you're gonna run 10th, 8th, and 12th, or something, you know, so, you can, you can mess it up, so easily um just by anything you know i mean some of the things that have helped us have been on accident you know like just rolling like let's say rolling the left rear a little bit deeper or as much as the right sides you know just a happenstance back in the day chris accidentally bolted on the wrong left rear from the wrong set and it you know settled the go-kart down a lot better and it had a lot more left rear grip and drove a little bit better center off and just Things we found out after the races that, hey, Chris grabbed the wrong left rear, and <laughs> it was a little bit deeper left rear than, you know, instead of having a 50cc difference from the right sides of the left rear, it was 20ccs or 15ccs difference, and it settled the go-kart down better, you know, it's just different things, you know, you stumble upon, and you learn, and you just have to be in the right mindset not to give up or be like, oh, you know, people like to blame things on things that are out of their control. Like, I'm the first one, not because I'm a motor guy, but I don't want to blame it on engine because nine times out of ten, it's not the engine. It's something else, you know, because one, I promise you, it's the most humbling experience when you go out there and you're out there running you're like man this thing ain't really running good it feels like the head gasket's blown on this thing it won't even take off at the grid it won't even take off on a restart 
and it all boils down to like tires and then you know 20 minutes later when you go out for the next class you hit the tires right and it feels like you got two motors bolted on it and you know it's just learning that we want to find out the real problem of what's going on and how to solve it and uh that's things we kind of take our mindset to to try to figure things out yeah understandable understandable on that um, let's see so you've raced you know a little bit in the deep south i guess like the gulf coast type area and up and down the east coast um what are do you have any do you have a favorite track or do you have a couple favorite tracks that you really just enjoy um, more than others yeah, I mean, I honestly, I mean, there's some racetracks. You know, I like every racetrack. Like, I'm, I'm a guy that racing to me. I love every aspect of it. Whether it's Friday night scaling out, working on the go kart with Chris in the shop, or going to Wesley's shop and hanging out and giving him a hand with whatever he needs, or anything. I love every aspect of it. I mean, even to waking up on Saturday morning and driving an hour to Chris's house, jamming out to music, knowing that I get to race today. I love it. So, uh, I forgot what your question was, honestly. Uh, hey, it's all good, man. I, I love just hearing your enthusiasm and that, you know, I've actually, you know, I've just, I've kind of just been trying to really listen to what you've been saying and stuff like that. And I think that everyone else that listens, you know, I think I've kind of almost answered my question I asked earlier. Like, why do people keep on helping you? But the more you talk, I think it's just a little clearer for everyone to understand that, you know, there, there's some people that like racing and there's some people that live racing. And, uh, and I think that you, you live it. And I think that even for me, I mean, I, you know, at a different time with different, without kids and with a mortgage and things like that, it was like, I lived it. And now that I'm kind of past that, like a lot of people that have helped you out, I think, they just they see themselves in you a lot, you know, and, and that's that's a good characteristic to have, in my opinion. But um, I got a little off base there. But uh, the question I actually asked was just some of your favorite tracks, um, either in the deep south or up here in Carolina, or where, you know, I'm not sure where you've been. So just any of your favorite tracks or even series that you you've enjoyed for different reasons. It doesn't have to be a, a national type deal. It could just be your an old home track back in Louisiana. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I like places up here like Woodleaf and Coal Ridge and um, Coal Ridge Speedway is awesome. It's like the only racetrack. They do it a lot in like dirt late model racing, but they actually sheep's foot the racetrack. And uh, it's a big barrel with a bunch of plugs on it. Um, and it sheep's foot the racetrack and punches a bunch of holes in the racetrack. Kind of sounds like you're running off the interstate on the rumble strips, but it's it's not that bad. And you just get used to it, and you don't even notice it after a while. Um, but the racetrack's so awesome. It's like a short track. It's flat. Racetrack stays perfect from the time you start to the time you end. Um, that's a really good racetrack close to home. I love Woodleaf. Um, Woodleaf's a good little short track. I like the little shorter racetracks than the bigger racetracks. Um, I just kind of like uh, I love the getting in a rhythm and having to let off and uh, really hustle to go-kart I like those types of racetracks where it's not so go-kart and tire dependent I mean everything's go-kart and tire dependent these days but more along the racetracks that you know you get to hustle to go-kart and you're just on the wheel trying to make as much speed as you can for 20 laps and 
where you can get in the rhythm and you let off and you're backing the corners up and trying to get on the gas as quick as you can to make it run better center off. Uh, I love those types of places. Gotcha. What, uh, you know, I've never actually, I've been in go-kart racing, you know, in and out for over almost 30 years and I've actually never been to an indoor race. How do you, how do you like the indoor racing as far as you actually driving and racing and stuff like that? Well, it just depends on if it's Coke syrup or if it's dirt. Dirt's awesome, man. I mean, you know, you got Williamston, you got Batesville, you got places like that. Um, I remember growing up going to with my uncles to go help at Tunica back when Tunica had 1,700 entries in the early 2000s, you know, getting shipped off at Thanksgiving when Kevin Swindell was there and he was still racing go-karts and Stenhouse raced Tunica. And um, it, was, it was just cool to see that place with 1,700 entries and the amount of people and indoor racing where, you know, just you got a big crowd in the stands around you. And um, it just makes you feel like you're in like a football stadium. You know, it's like the Super Bowl, you know. I mean, Williamston's cool. It's I think it's just because it's its own entity and it's a lot different and it's tighter and everything's got to be way different. And it's just a different type of racing. And I think, you know, in a way, all outdoor tracks are kind of the same. Every, every racetrack's different, but just going indoors is just something different. And, uh, I think that's just something cool that you get to just go race indoors. You know, I mean, it's just, I like it, you know, um, cooks are up to me. I mean, Everybody jokes around because of my size and stuff, and I'm perfect size for it. But, man, that stuff is – it's rough, man. I mean, it. I got a lot of respect for those dudes that are good at it, like Bob Baker and Cameron Carter and all them, and I know how hard – they just train just to go coke up racing. Like, it's the most physically demanding thing you'll ever do, just mentally and physically. Um I mean, you're running, you know, low, mid, five-second lap time. I mean, you, you don't have time to breathe, like, much less think. Um, it's so tough just to even not fall out of the seat, much less trying to make speed and figure out what's going on and make passes and win. It's more physically demanding just trying to stay into the seat. Like, I just can't explain the amount of G-forces and – like, when you've got something with that low center gravity and you're running 64% left and it bikes up like that or a right front comes off the bead because it's biting so hard, I mean, that's just crazy, you know? I mean, I think, you know, Tony Stewart always runs his midget indoors on Coke Syrup in Fort Wayne, and, you know, he talks about, you know, they run go-karts there and stuff. I think he says it, it best. He explained it one time that it was like taking a – f-16 fighter jet and trying to fly it around in your basement i mean that's <laughs> basically what it's like i mean for anybody you can never like you know people you've got to experience coke syrup at one time and even if you watch and you go down to like king of the concrete in greensboro it takes you a while just to like get your eyes used to from a perspective standpoint just the speed and how much speed they're carrying around in such a little area just getting your eyes used to it because you're used to watching them outdoors all the time and you go indoors and it looks like they're running twice as fast you know just because you're in such a little area and it's so much speed it's it's wild that's awesome 
and you kind of alluded a little bit. I've talked about this with um, a few people that have been on the podcast so far, but um, do you do you actually work out at all um, as far as for racing, or do you just race? Are you one of the racers that say, yeah, racing is my working out, kind of like Tony Stewart? Yeah, no, I, I don't work out because I don't really honestly believe that there's any workout that can prepare you for. There's certain neck exercises and stuff you can do, um, but probably the best thing you could ever do that I like to do, I feel like as a sport, we don't get to practice enough. You know, you show up Saturday morning and you go out last round of practice because the racetrack's just getting good. And you go out there and scuff a set of tires because you need them later in the night. And you go scuff a set in practice and you run eight or ten laps and you're sliding around because the racetrack's not good. And then, bam, you go out there to run three classes for three laps of qualifying. And all you're trying to do then is literally get the most speed out of the go-kart you can and figure out how to get better. And then, you know, it's by that time, it's race time. You don't really get much practice. So for getting better in the seat i feel like number one being comfortable in the go-kart does a lot you know me being little you know pedals got to be in the right spot so my knees aren't flopping around or you know my throttle foot's not cramping up because it's in a weird position and just being comfortable in the go-kart makes a huge difference um i especially feel like being little that's a big deal to me but I like to just go throw a Predator go-kart, um, have like an old go-kart you're not using and throw a Predator or an old clone on there and go out on a Sunday, man, and just go make laps. Like, I've I've done it at Liberty. Like, I've went and took an old helmet and literally taped a two- or three-pound weight on the side of my helmet and went and just rode laps and rode laps and rode laps just trying to build up my neck and stuff. Um, the best thing you can probably do is just do it and go practice on a Sunday and go ride and ride. Like that's the best way I feel to get in shape. Like I'm a little guy, 115 pounds, but I promise you, like I can feel a difference, you know, when I'm a month out the seat, you know, around here, cause you've got to be on it. Like there, you've got to not be falling out of the seat and you know, I don't, I don't ever wear a sissy strap. I feel like that wears me out even more. Um, I just feel like riding is the best thing you can do for your physical ability. And when you, when you tape that weight on, do you tape it to the top of the helmet? Uh, you can either tape it to the top of the helmet or I'll tape it to the right side of the helmet. Okay. Gotcha. Um, I mean, cause you can take a bodybuilder somebody that's physically fit and go run them out there. And in five laps, they're going to be like, my neck's about to fall off, you know? I mean, it's just what your body's used to, like the pulling of the steering wheel with your left arm. And it's it's all muscle memory, I feel like, more than just being physically fit, honestly. Gotcha. So, I'm no fitness expert, but I just feel <laughs> like more than anything, the people who have been riding the most are the most physically fit at it. Yeah, that's... I can't remember who I was talking to the other day, and maybe it was Wesley when we were talking about it, but it maybe it was him. It's almost like he, someone made a good point about a lot of guys, you know, you'll go away and you'll sign up for four or five classes when in reality, physically, you're only good for two. So don't worry about those other classes and just give try to give 100% because you run three classes and by the 
halfway through the second class, your head's hanging over, and you still got, you know, generally it's the bigger money and main event that evening, and you know you put all that work into it and travel that far just to kind of throw it away and only give eighty percent. So, um, yeah, I mean, absolutely, <clears throat> and you know, these days I feel like personally what wears me out more is when we miss the tires or the go-kart's not quite right and you're having to manhandle it you know and really be steady on the wheel to try to not slide it if the tires aren't you know perfectly right that wears me out more than anything so if we miss the tires like in the first two classes or something you know i'd be you know about falling out of the seat and getting tired or not falling out of the seat but getting tired working on me a lot more physically but then the last class of the night when we hit it right on tires be like you can make a hundred laps out there (laughs) so i feel like more than anything is getting the go-kart right because when you're having out there manhandle it and it's wanting to slide around on you or get tight or something and you're having to try extra hard to drive it that's what wears me out more than anything. So, like, later in the night, if we hit on it, I'll, you know, come off the racetrack, won't be tired at all. Okay. And when you do come off the racetrack, and and I'm sure that you're involved as well, but I, I'm assuming for the most part, uh, Chris maintains the tires for the for the cart and stuff like that and does the tires at the track? Yep, so he um, does them during the week, and at the try, I mean, I'm so thankful for Chris, you know, he does everything, you know, he washes it on Sundays, I don't have to do anything, you know, I go there on Fridays or Saturday mornings and get everything, you know, ready, Um, not to say that, you know, I'm lazy or anything, but, you know, he takes care of most everything, and, you know, in, in between classes, I get more enjoyment of, like, wrenching on my own stuff, so, like, I don't really need nobody to, like, wrench on my stuff because I love, you know, changing weight and changing gear and air filters and making sure everything's ready. So when I roll on the racetrack, I know, like, it's on me and nothing's going to fall off because I did it all and I've been paying attention and I've been wrenching on it. So generally in between classes, it's Chris getting tires ready. I'm talking to him, giving him feedback, and I'm changing oil, changing weight, changing gear, making adjustments to the go-kart, cross, whatever. Um, generally, that's our job, our day at the racetrack. Gotcha. And you kind of touched base on it where you two talk about bite and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, just for me, kind of coming not from a driver's point of view, just from like a tire, say a tire guy point of view, or say a dad that's doing tires, what are – is there something that that Chris always asks you about as far as tires? Does he generally use the stopwatch to kind of decide what to do? Like, what what kind of discussion as far as tires, rather be good or bad? Do you generally have just about every time you come off the track and stuff like that? If if there is anything, I mean, I'm you know the first time we rode together, I was you know young and still learning, and I'm always you know yelling about need more bite, need more bite, need more bite, you know, and we'd hit it or not hit it, and it's just it's always been a struggle my whole life to find bite just because of my size, and I don't transfer weight like other people and make the go kart work, so I feel like statically we have to get the go kart way better than a normal size person. Cause I got a hundred pounds of lead strapped on this thing. That's dead weight. Then mm-hmm. dynamically somebody that's 175 pounds transfers and makes the go-kart work. And, you know, I'm basically got a hundred pounds of dead weight sitting on my seat. 
So generally it just boils down to me and Chris trying to, he comes out the racetrack, hey, how can it be better? And I'll kind of give my opinion and he gives his opinion and we just make the best educated guess because that's basically all it is these days is making your best educated <clears throat> guess because you see so many big people hit or miss it one weekend or not miss it and it's it's just the cool thing about it is it's so hard and tough and mentally just trying to find the right decision to do everything um just from what tires to pick out and what to wipe or do we wipe this because the racetrack's starting to slick off i kind of just i personally i can probably see a go-kart what it's doing off the racetrack i guess from my point of view of being doing a lot of pit work and being a buggy pusher and washing tires i kind of love to study the go-karts off the racetrack and it's tough for me sometimes to translate what a go-kart's doing or where it needs to be better and sometimes i'm just like man i don't know where it needs to be better like i don't know where we need to find that tenth of a second you know <laughs> like we're mm -hmm. off in qualifying and i just don't know you know i don't know if it needs more air or less air like it's there's just so many variables at hand that it's hard to really figure out what you need I think that's what attracts a lot of us to it, you know, it's like every time you think you have it, and especially for people that are curious, you know, I mean, it's it's a never-ending, it's like the book that never ends, you know, you get to the last chapter and all of a sudden they print a whole other chapter, you know, so I, I like, yeah, you know, I, mean, I like kind of exploring and learning and failing and learning and trying to get better and stuff, so. Yeah, I mean, there's no set handbook that says, hey, you bolt on this 100cc tire and you wipe it three times with hot lap or AT2 that it's going to do this. Like, there's <laughs> dirt's ever-changing, and it could be different from week to week, and it's just all about how you adapt. And, uh, you know, some people, you know, if you need to strike goat or not, or, you know, it's, it's ever-adapting. And um, I think that's what makes it so competitive because it's more competitive – off the racetrack than it is on the racetrack so like as my mindset i keep it to where like i'm driving this and when chris gets it right i've got to be at the best of my ability to show it off and make sure it happens so like you know like we have this thing you know when i raced for eddie miss you it was always this understood deal where he was like you know i'm gonna miss the tires every once in a while and you're not going to get mad, and you're going to screw up driving every once in a while, and I'm not going to get mad. So I take that mindset everywhere I go. Like, I don't get mad when Chris misses it, and Chris don't get mad at me when I miss it and screw up a race when the go-kart's just absolutely ripping because you're going to have that. It's so competitive. And um, I think that's just a good mindset to have. Like, it's just going to happen. Like, you just got to learn from it, you know, and not make mistakes behind the wheel and not – try to eliminate mistakes in the trailer doing tires mm -hmm. i agree with that and stepping aside from the tire deal you you mentioned that you kind of i guess more or less like kind of maintain the go-kart during the day and if there's some cross or weights that need to be moved um <coughs> you kind of handle that as far as just anyone listening when you get to a track or any advice for someone that when you get to a track and you, you think your tires are, are probably pretty close or pretty good what what's one of the first areas of the go-kart like on the chassis itself that you adjust to say if you're on a tight you know the go-kart's tight or um like what's one of the first things you do maybe someone that's going away and the track gets real good and they're at a loss but they think their tires are right and, and they're pretty sure the tires are good 
Like, what is what are one of the first one or two things in the go kart that you adjust as far as um, freeing it up, or as from your experience? I mean, honestly, I think you know, besides stagger, as far as on the go kart side, I mean, cross. Um, I like to play with like you know, washer to a cross, just to maybe tighten the go kart up or free it up, or you know, a little bit of right front camber. Or, left front camber to make it cut on entry and um there's a lot of different stuff we're learning every weekend what does what or a little bit of caster you know a lot of people think you know caster is just all about driver feel and i don't i feel like it's a timing deal um i mean you jack all the caster in it you want to and go out there and just cut the wheel sitting on flat ground and see how it picks up the left rear and then you take all the caster out of it and you cut the wheel left and see how much it picks up the left rear. You know, I mean, it's all about timing. And, yeah, it is a driver feel how heavy the steering wheel is on them. But, you know, caster's a big thing that everybody's talked about for, you know, ages on if it's just driver feel or does it actually affect the go-kart. And um, I feel like it does affect the go-kart, and I feel like it's more important for me from static standpoint than dynamically uh, just because i don't truly make the go-kart work that much you know um because you know i can't run as much left as everybody else or it just sits on the left rear all the time it feels like the go-kart's just sitting in the left rear so i can't personally run as much left because i'm 115 pounds and i'm over here staring at the header over here next to me because i'm so low in the go-kart i don't transfer on the right size like everybody so it's uh it's it's a lot to it, and we've been playing around a lot the last few weekends just with getting the go-kart more balanced. Um, when the go-kart gets more balanced, that's uh, it's way easier on the tires. And, you know, when the go-kart's not balanced and you have the tires perfect, it's, you know, it's going to go out there ripping, but at lap 15, it's going to start to fall off um, and not be good by the time you finish the race at lap 20, whether when you do have the go-kart real balanced, it's more forgiving on tires. And, you know, if you do miss the tires a little bit, it's still going to be really good and make speed out of the go-kart. So I feel like, you know, people that say, oh, it's just all about tires, like it is. But in a sense, it's really not. Everything's got to be super balanced. Um, That's just my personal opinion on it. No, I, I agree, and um, and I've said that plenty of times before to people getting started. It's like, yeah, you know, go kart racing on dirt is all about tires, but when we when I say that, and when I hear people say that, we're also assuming that everything else is already right. You know what I mean? So that's I think that's the thing that always gets left out is we're like, yeah, it's all about tires, tires, tires. But we also like in that you know at a higher level, I think a lot of people. Um, you know, they know the go-karts, right? You know, they know the motors, right? They know they have the right gear. They know they're going to drive it pretty good. So everything, they've already eliminated all the other aspects of that. And that's why that statement does hold true. But it, it kind of depends on your perspective. You know, if the guy that's just starting at the local track, you know, it, it is about it. And um, But they also have to make sure the motor's been freshened up and it's not two years old and stuff like that. So um, yeah, anyway, but um now you you alluded earlier that um, you didn't you kind of touched base on it and you said we come back to it. Um, the go kart number that you're I guess you're currently on is it three twenty seven? Yeah. So um, actually, Chris's racing number when he was racing was three, and um, 
my dad's flat track motorcycle racing number and his go-kart racing number was always 27. So me and Chris were like, man, when we first started, we was like, man, what number are we going to be? Like, we didn't really care, you know, I mean, it's not no huge deal. Some people, you know, take it real serious and we don't. So we ended up being 327. We just added them. And then it's just a running joke, like, you know, small block, because small block engines are usually 327 cubic inches, and I'm little, so it's just a running joke, <laughs> being a small block, and uh, it's just a joke around the pits and stuff, but, and uh, then you don't have to worry about 327, nobody's stealing your number, and you're having to add digits, so <laughs> it's kind of nice. Right. Do you, uh, do you have any nicknames, out of curiosity, or? Even ones that you might not want to claim. Do you have any your friends call you or anything like uh, that? Wesley, uh, Wesley coined it a long time ago. Um, that was probably 16, 17, 18. Uh, just because I look so young and I look like I'm 12. He always used to call me 12-year-old that could, like, just as a running joke, you know. And it's just... I don't know. People call me whatever, you know. I don't mind. <laughs> uh, a lot of people can't say my name, so... They call me whatever, you know, so I just go with anything. But I know that one, that was, everybody gets a kick out of as a 12-year-old that could because I'm like, you know, 18, 19, and out here looking like a 12-year-old, you know, so it's just a running joke. Uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I've seen that either on Twitter or on Facebook as a hashtag for you, either yeah. either one of your buddies talking about you or maybe you put it as a joke. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, something else, and I – I don't know if these are connected. Um, I, I kind of put something out there, and you've already answered some of the questions that um, people on social media as far as Facebook and stuff like that. Um, someone told me to bring up Blue Bayou and then also a famous hashtag. And I I don't know if you even – do you know what I'm talking about? Does that ring a bell, Blue Bayou? Uh, we um, – man, that's back when we were racing in Louisiana. Um we ended up – it rained out at our local racetrack, and they they had this – it was like four hours away in Louisiana, this um, backyard racetrack. You know, I mean, it's, it's a tight little bull ring with a ton of banking in it. And uh, me, Wesley, a few others, you know, would – you know, it was like a backyard. I mean, like they raced – um, lawnmowers, all kinds of stuff, and we ended up going out there and racing at this little bull ring. Um, it was a fun time, and uh, it was just spur of the moment. Everybody load up and drive four hours to this little racetrack, backyard racetrack. It was, it was all. You actually got paid when you came off the racetrack. Like no scales, <laughs> no nothing. They hand you an envelope as you're like driving like off the racetrack, like to get paid. It was, it was a crazy experience, you know. <laughs> And is that a and famous hashtag? I don't know if they if it was a famous hashtag or you're famous for a hashtag. I'm not exactly sure what they were referencing. Probably is that... the twelve year old that could probably because that's pretty well known. Okay, so I okay, so we already answered that. I gotcha. And uh, do you? Okay, kind of kind of come to a close here. Kind of closing things down. We're almost about a couple hours here. And uh, again, man, I appreciate you making time for this. But when um. Do you have a favorite memory? Um, I mean, it can be when you're racing, just kind of, I mean, related to racing, but, uh, you know, whether you were driving or working on something or, uh, I don't know, anything that really sticks out in your mind that just, that you'd like to share? 
as far as um, your your little journey we've kind of talked about so far? Man, I mean, honestly, um, probably the best memories I got is working with Eddie and building go-kart engines and stuff like that. And it, um, I raced for Eddie for a little while. So the first time I raced for Chris, I ended up, Eddie, you know, was trying to, you know, get his go-kart out there and stuff. And uh, I started racing for Chris and Eddie at the same time, like on Friday nights. I'd, you know, race part-time with Eddie. I'd go to, like, Woodleaf on a Friday night, and then I'd go somewhere with Chris on Saturday. Like, it was, like, the greatest thing ever, like, getting to race two nights in a weekend and having a good old time. And then, like, me and Chris kind of just mutually separated at the end of that year and ended up riding full-time for Eddie. And uh, at that point, it was, um, you know, building engines and racing every weekend. I mean, we raced every single weekend, whatever we thought the best, you know, payout for our entry fee money and um, not trying to cherry pick or nothing, you know, but just whatever our budget allowed. And uh, because we didn't have a big budget again, you know, because we're running an engine shop and trying to race and live at the same time. And uh, I raced with Eddie, and I, I did everything. I mean, I Mondays, I'd clean the go-karts up. We'd start on engines, work on engines Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Thursday night. I'd try to, you know, put the go-kart together. I mean, we worked from, you know, uh, all the time. I mean, till 10, 11 o'clock at night. Like, I was basically racing for a living, you know. I mean, you know, not the same thing, but, you know, it's, it's tough, you know, making a living. So, I mean, I was kind of betting my paycheck every weekend at the sign-up window and signing up, you know, I mean, it's bad because, you know, people talk about, you know, priorities and stuff, but I didn't have no priorities. I just wanted to race, you know, whatever means it took. So, you know, if it was like trying to get to third from fourth at the end of the race, you know, some people wouldn't care, but I did because like I had to make my money back from the sign-up window to get my paycheck back, you know, mm-hmm. and um, probably to circle that all around about. I remember uh, Eddie always takes from the week of Christmas to New Year's off, and um, we ended up going to Paradise for the New Year's race. It's always real huge. I think that was 2015 or 16, somewhere around there. Um, we ended up going to Paradise for the New Year's race. We'd hit a few big races every once in a while. And by that point, I was still at my no-pro status. Um, wasn't a professional by no means. We didn't have a bunch. Me and Eddie, you know, we'd buy one set of tires every two weeks and keep them in rotation. And that's just what we had. So we went to Paradise. And it was, you know, like ran like three or four classes and, I had done taken a week off of work, but I worked that whole week on my racing stuff. I didn't take no vacation. We sat there in the shop, wrenched on the go-kart. We could focus on everything, get tires right, stuff like that. Didn't have a lot, you know. And uh, we ended up running a no-pro race, the first no-pro race. I remember, well, to back up, I signed up, and it was, you know, like 300 dollars you know, to <laughs> sign up. And, uh, and I, it was like, all I had like I didn't have no money I was like yeah I don't know what I'm gonna do you know like this is all I got I think I even borrowed like 20 or 30 dollars from Eddie just to make entry fees and 
it's just a cool story like perseverance and just keep working hard and uh it just so happened to work out i had won the first no pro race from like 11th and uh i was driving the wheels off that thing and i remember it was like 500 to win and i'm like heck yeah man like i got all my entry fee money back like i'm gonna be able to eat next week you know <laughs> like i was pumped and uh ended up they paid four grand to win later that night for no pro and uh i qualified second for that one so it was like the big money race it was four thousand dollars to win and i remember like it was a, a bunch of cautions i ended up getting spun out and it was like a 30 lap race and uh for some reason, we decided, you know, to, like, track it and slicked off a little bit come nighttime. We decided to strike goat and uh, put on a real deep tire, and they had, like, a red flag, and at that point, I got spun out on all them cautions, and they just so happened to make one complete lap, and so I had to go all the way to the tail to, like, 30th, and, uh, you know, it's always that thing where do you pull off or not. I was like, man, we got plenty of time. I'm going to keep digging, you know? Well, we had a red flag, everybody's tires cooled down, I don't know, it's because we had like such a deep tire on there, a re-roll, and we struck goat. Man, that thing took off, and I drove all the way back to the lead, and had like a four-second lead on, I mean, just had them like killed, you know? Ended up winning like $4,000 that night, and having like, you know, a lot of money, you know, at that time, and it's just a cool story, you know, it was like <clears> my <throat> first really, really big win, you know, and uh Man, that was an awesome weekend, you know, coming from, you know, to sign up when you're like, man, how am I going to eat next week, you know? I mean, because at that point, you know, I mean, I save change out the change drawer when things get tight and you need extra entry fee money, you go cash change, you know? I mean, it's, it gets tight sometimes and you just make it happen. And, uh, and that was a good time right there. And uh, just something to look back on, you know, not tell everybody, you know, to spend all your money on entry fees and don't have no money to live on but it's just everybody's been through that at some point or another with money and stuff so just keep your head down and keep digging right and when it works out it's a great story huh <laughs> yes it is <clears throat> and uh so, something we kind of i wanted to bring up a little bit earlier but you what do you see how did you get from did you go straight from miss you to your current job or was there anything in between there tell me a little bit about that i i didn't even I didn't know where you worked until uh, Wesley posted something last week on Facebook when you were, you were like one of the kinetic racing chassis, like the uh, featured drivers or something. But, um, but tell me, kind of tell me, give me your little story as far as how you got to where you are right now. Yeah, man, that's also a funny story, you know, um, just crazy how things happen and, you know, just so happened to be working for Eddie, you know, it's known like, you know, it's very respectable, you know, but it's it's hard to make money in racing everybody knows that and uh i was honestly kind of down and out and i was ready to kind of like move on and get out of the racing industry working honestly uh because you know at some point you got to grow up and make money and um you know if certain life events happen you know you got family kids whatever you know you got to make ends meet and i was just ready to take that next step so I was trying to figure out, you know, I was kind of at the end of my time with Eddie and Miss You, and uh, it wasn't nothing, you know, hard feelings and nothing, just moving on to certain things in life. And I was like, man, what am I going to do? Like, all I've ever known is racing. Like, I don't really like anything else. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I was 
searching on Indeed for jobs and trying to figure out what I wanted to do in my life. Like, I wanted to be a part of racing and race and drive, but, you know, I didn't really want to work in racing anymore. I was kind of at that point in my life, and I think I was just, you know, down, you know, and I so happened to stumble across on Indeed that Roush Yates Engines was hiring. I was like, man, I mean, it's worth a shot, you know, so I sent in my resume, updated my resume, sent it in to them. They gave me a call and uh, went in for an interview. Um, then I got another call to have a secondary interview with Doug Yates and um, ended up working, started in, I think, 2017, January 2017 for Roush Yates Engines. So we actually build all of the Ford NASCAR engines. So that's Stuart Haas, Penske, um, Roush, um, Front Row Motorsports, 32 car. Uh, we build all the engines for Ford NASCAR. So it's been a crazy ride and a really cool experience just to see how the NASCAR world is. And honestly, I always wanted to work in NASCAR. And it's just so fitting that I got to work in an engine shop where I kind of did want to go to the engine shop. And I uh, just stumbled across it, man. I just, everything works out. And, um, God does some pretty cool things. That's cool, man. That's that's a it's a long way from Louisiana, wouldn't you say? <laughs> yeah, you go all the way from just you know pit helping and moving up here with no job <clears throat> to ended up that now I get to touch NASCAR engines all day every day and be responsible and pay attention and work for a living and got benefits and you know people's attitude, you know it. It's all about how you look at a bunch of things, and you know a lot of people have bad attitudes about stuff, but not everybody gets the race, and not everybody gets to enjoy it and experience it, and some people want to, and you just can't take those opportunities for granted, um, you know, not to down anything, but you know you just there's a bunch of sour apples and everything, but it's just all about how you look at it that you get to wake up and go to work because some people don't even get to go to work every day. And uh, whether, you know, disabled or something, you know, just not everybody gets those luxuries. Like, it is a luxury to be able to go to work. So I just feel like that's cool. And just to keep a good mindset about it, like, um, we ended up winning the cup championship last year. And, um, like, it's just crazy what all that has transpired since then. Um, so it's a pretty cool deal. I mean, even from the beginning when you were younger, you <laughs> – it at least sounds like you've had a pretty a pretty optimistic outlook on on racing life everything as far as that's concerned is that where does that come from is that something i mean are, are both of your parents that way or one of them is it a friend just something you've picked up on uh, maybe there's not an answer maybe you don't know i just it seems like you've kind of even at, at each aspect and i'm sure not everything's been perfect and you've always been in a great mood every day all day long but Overall, I think your general perspective is pretty good. Is that something that was passed down or just something you saw in other people that you wanted to emulate? Yeah, I think <laughs> it's just uh, probably my parents, the biggest thing, um, just their attitudes about thing and life and um, a lot of other things I've stumbled across and people and how attitudes affect you. And, you know, and it's, it's just, man, there's just so much like, when you think things could be bad, like things could be so much worse and somebody else out there has got it way worse than you. And, uh, it's, uh, just a better way to look at life. Like that we just, 
get to wake up and breathe air is kind of cool, you know. I mean, it's just a lot of things about life, and certainly I don't have the most model attitude. I get, you know, pissed off about things and have a crappy attitude about stuff, but sometimes you just got to step back and be like, man, like, it's still cool that I get to race. Like, that's some of the things, like, I feel like other people can take. Like, Saturday mornings, like, I'm just as pumped to drive to the racetrack than I am to race just because I'm like, man, like, I get to race today, you know, it's Saturday morning, I get to go racing, you know, so it's just a cool environment and experience, and the people racing are great, like, they're just like family, and it's it's a family-oriented sport, whether your mom's cooking for you at the racetrack, or, you know, you, your little siblings playing around with other little siblings in the dirt, or, it's just a good atmosphere, and there's there's certain parts of it that get bad, but that's with everything, but um yeah that's definitely it right and if you remember i'm i'm kind of curious when you when you applied to yash or Roush Yates, do you remember who you put down for your references actually um if you can share that i think i put down john leonard that works at rcr he's an engineer um he went on to be a crew chief for a short stint and now he's an engineer on the three car at rcr and uh, I also put down Jeremy Ashley. Um, Jeremy Ashley is a guy who raced for a little bit, worked with Eddie for a little while, um, and then he worked with Todd Miller, and he worked with Gary Freeze at Speed Clinic, and um, he decided just to do the same thing and somehow stumbled across Roush Yates too. So it was kind of cool because, like, got two guys that came from go-kart engine building there and just you know a lot of people went to school and did other things and we kind of you know just the the old grassroots way you know just going out there and getting experience and then it taking you to the next level and uh just keep on learning all you can so that's um two of the people that i put down for my references gotcha and so where you are currently and moving forward, do you, what is your, kind of like your outlook? Do you have any goals moving forward as far as moving up where you are? Um, just, just learning and seeing where it goes and, and also not only just in work, but also in, in just your racing in general, um, just kind of your thoughts on where you might see yourself in the next three, three to five years or so, or what would you like to be, I guess? I mean, honestly, there's no telling. I mean, there's still a lot that, I want to accomplish in racing on and off the track. Uh, I mean, I don't really want to talk too much about it just because like, I kind of want to show people. Mm-hmm. But um, there's a lot that I still have left to do off the racetrack and on the racetrack, but more off the racetrack. And um, I just want to do it, you know. Um, work, you know, it's taken me, you know, I worked, Everybody goes to teardown for a year where you just, you know, basically scrubbing parts and cleaning stuff. Um, and then I got promoted to sub assembly where um, basically I'm putting together engines and parts and pieces before the engine builders get them. Just that saves time, anything from front dress to rear dress to clutches to bell housings to water pumps to valve cover lids to every little part and piece. And, um, just crazy how much you put into perspective like you cannot make a mistake like every bolt you torque down is like paint pinned with your paint color on there and 
um, it's just a huge responsibility. Like you don't want to go out there and cost Kevin Harvick his championship at Homestead. <laughs> I mean, it's the it's stressful in a way, but it gives you a certain level of pride that you know you're working for something. And uh, I love every minute of it. And uh, there's no telling what the future holds, but. <clears throat> Right now, I'm just trying to learn all I can and be a sponge. There's a lot of good dudes at that engine shop right now that um, are really sharp guys. And anything I can take away from it to learn for later is uh, a big part of it. Just because, like, that's the same thing I did at Eddie Michu. Like, you know, you got people that came from him, like Tim Fischel and Matt Connell and Matt Chavis and just guys that have gone on to be really successful and you know that have come and did the same thing and uh just got to take full advantage of it that's a that's a good attitude to have man i i hope a lot of people listening to this especially you know people in the teenage years and people that want to be in in any really in life in general man just try to be a sponge and apply it when you can and sometimes you learn things that you shouldn't be doing you know and it's okay to learn that too you know yeah man i mean it's i used to resent those kids that like had a lot of money and like everything was handed to them they're just out playing football you know not wrenching on their stuff but like you know i mean it's it's all about what you make of they just want to play football and they just want to play football in between classes and hang out with their buddies and stuff and i'm like you know take full advantage of it but you know that's just how people are like not everybody wants to wrench on everything you know and wash everything and change gear and oil and stuff and it's nothing against them like that's just how they are and um i think you know the biggest thing you see when kids are you know 14 15 16 getting a driver's license and in high school and you you see a lot whether they want it or not like that's make or break years to me um you, i just seen over the years kids grow up whether they want it if they're going to take you know, there's a lot of things getting away and, you know, you wanting to go to high school football games instead of getting your racing stuff ready. And it's, uh, you got to be committed, man. And uh, if you really want it, you just keep putting effort and hard work in it. Good deal. And uh, so we're, we're about to close this up. Um, uh, one last question and then just a couple other things as far as where people can get a hold of you, maybe on Facebook and Twitter and stuff like that. Do you have anyone listening? Um, do you have any any final thoughts? Um, is there anyone else that maybe didn't come up during the conversation that you wanted to thank, or anything else really that you wanted to say or kind of put out there for anybody to hear? Um, not really. I think that's about it. I mean, just thankful for all the people who like supported me and spent their hard-earned money for like me to go racing. Um, just Chris and. Even, like, you know, just Chris's wife for putting up and my girlfriend and stuff for putting up with what we do on the weekends and we're gone and, you know, just going racing and spending money and this and that and being away from my parents and stuff, you know. I mean, it's it's a lot of sacrifices that you don't really see that takes place when you race. And uh, just thankful for all the people that understand it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so if anybody is listening to this, which I'm sure a lot of people are, and they're, they're going to want to send you friend requests and stuff like that. Um, you know, I'm definitely going to post, um, like as we, whenever I decide to um, put the podcast out there, I'll make sure I tag you and 
you can kind of put any information, like anyone that you're kind of involved with and stuff like that. But they can find you on Facebook and Twitter at um, at Jock Newsom. Or I can't yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah, that's my Twitter handle and my Facebook. So. <clears throat> okay, and uh, like I said, I'll put all that down there. And Jock, man, I we've gone for a little over two hours, and uh, I think it was a you did a great job. I mean, I think there's a lot of insight there for you know this is kind of a racing podcast, but at the same time, it's you know a lot about life because it's all intertwined. So I think. I think you've added a lot of value, and I appreciate that you took the time. And uh, even from the beginning, when I was talking about kind of doing uh, the whole podcast, you were retweet or retweeting it and and sharing stuff and really trying to help me get the word out there. And uh, you know, I hope I hope I'm kind of I hope that you like what you hear so far. And uh, you know, you definitely have added added to the value of, of what this is. So um, it's, it's good to be able to. Yeah, talk to man. People. I mean, because honestly, with work, sometimes just to focus and the uh in tune with everything i listen to a lot of podcasts rather than music just like you know they've got podcasts out there on rodney childers and you know nascar people and stuff and it it really educates me and moves me to do better just because of those guys like rodney childers came from go-kart racing the late model to being a crew chief and winning races and stuff and uh it's definitely helped me out a lot so I'm all for it, and I'm a big fan, and um, just like racing, I mean, everything you do in racing, you can intertwine with real life, and just how you tackle things, and not giving up. I agree, and I just, you know, I, uh, speaking of Rodney Childers, I I remember seeing him race back, uh, you know, with Mark Mode, like one of the people you spoke of earlier, and he's, um, he he i think follows me on twitter and stuff like that and i kind of threw it out there I'm like hey man i you know i'd love to get you on just to hear some old go-kart stories maybe in the off season and uh, he didn't answer but he he did like the he liked the post so i'm thinking there's still a chance so um i think it would be cool to hear from people like that you know where they a lot of a lot of us would just love to kind of hear the stories um not only in go-karting but just the journey of people just like yourself man just making their way and uh succeeding at at basically anything you're you're putting your mind to doing. So um, again, man, I appreciate it. And if there's any way I can help you in the future, you know, you can. All you have to do is ask. And uh, I'm glad we had this opportunity to talk. And I hope that you know sooner or later around the corner we'll be able to see each other at a track again and, and hang out and just just talk some shit. So yeah, man, absolutely. I appreciate it, and I appreciate you taking time out to uh, do this deal. Yeah, absolutely, man. All right, everyone, I appreciate it, and uh, I will talk to you later. Hey, everyone, hope you enjoyed the podcast with Jock. Uh, It's a cool little story, kind of like a mini version of the Kevin Colburn, if you've heard that one before, and I think probably in another 20 years we'll be able to visit Jock, and we would have plenty more stories to kind of add on to that. So... If you enjoyed it, the only thing I really ask, uh, I don't have any sponsors, I'm not selling anything yet, maybe some t-shirts and hats one day, but uh, just share it. Tell a friend, uh, share it on Facebook, follow us on, you know, wherever you find your podcasts, at Google, Spotify, Apple, uh, subscribe. I know that, you know, in my mind, probably the people I'm going to have on here, some will be stock cars, guys that are local, uh, that maybe started off in karting, some will be major players in the karting world. And you might not want to listen to everyone, and I get that too, but 
I think, you know, probably out of every four or five, there's going to be one or two that you're just not interested in. And that's okay. You know, subscribe to it and listen to the ones you do. I think that, you know, really the only way or the only thing it takes to get on the podcast in my mind is, you know, to have somewhat of a decent reputation and to either have some information to hand out and, and to tell people or, you know, some cool stories to tell. It's uh, just trying to bring the carding community together. So if you like what you hear, again, like I said, um, share it on Facebook, like us on Facebook, you can follow us on Twitter, uh, and reach out to the people that you hear on the podcast. Tell them thank you. It's kind of weird to come on here still, even after six or seven episodes of doing this, um, to come on here and, and, you know, and to talk and know that hundreds of people are going to hear your story. And, and a lot of people are pretty open about it. And I, th- I think that's something that uh, we all appreciate. So again, uh, it's a couple days after Easter. Hopefully everyone got their Easter eggs and have ate all that and getting ready to get back into the swing of racing. So again, I really do appreciate your time, everyone. Have a good one.